Hi, I'm Janine Strawn, the Tiny House Guru and founder of Tiny House Solutions and the president of the Australian Tiny House Association. I'm here to talk to you about all things tiny and in this podcast I'll be discussing some topics that will get you thinking about whether tiny house living is for you as well as all sorts of tips regarding finding a site, working out a budget, designing your space, choosing your materials, building and moving your tiny, how you can earn an income from your tiny house and so much more. My passion for tiny houses stemmed from my passion for sustainability and the environment. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast you can relate. All of my advice is based on my personal and professional experience and I recommend you do your own due diligence. You can find out more about what I do or try Tiny House Living by checking out my website at www.tinyhousesolutions.com.au and if by listening to these podcasts you think I can assist you in achieving freedom, in living your dream and wanting information on our Tiny House models, then consider booking a consult time with me to discuss your project. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking to you about what to consider when going off-grid. If you're planning to live off-grid in your tiny house, then you'll have a range of things to consider before committing to that. I'm going to talk to you about renewable energy and water supply. Whilst this discussion will be of a general nature, it will also be really important for you to seek out advice on the size of systems you need from off-grid and water tank suppliers. So let's talk about why you are considering to go off-grid. It may be because the site you are going to place your tiny house on doesn't have access to grid-connected power, or you want to be more self-sufficient and be flexible where you locate your tiny house, or you want to further reduce your environmental footprint by generating your own electricity and collecting your own water. No matter what the reason for deciding to go off-grid, there are some common themes to consider. I want to first talk about energy considerations and then water considerations. So let's start with calculating your energy demand. What I would suggest is creating a list of things that you envisage using in the home that requires energy. Perhaps put them in a table which you can add to and this is going to provide you with structure for later on. The energy demand will likely include lights, cooking appliances such as toasters, kettle, microwave, as well as ceiling fans or exhaust fans, hot water systems, charging points for electronic devices including TVs, washing machine, dishwasher, water pumps, iron, hair dryer, heater, air conditioner and so on. Once you have created a list, then identify how much wattage the appliance might take and determine how long that appliance might require energy for per day or over the week. From there, you'll be able to identify some of the high energy demand items. And you may wish to consider some of these like one of my clients did. She was originally going to go with ceramic cooktop hot plates, but due to the energy demand of the hot plates, it was changed to gas um, gas hot plates. Same with the hot water unit. Consider gas over electricity and ceiling fan over air conditioner, if feasible. And LED lights are more efficient than fluorescent globes and tubes. 
And do you really need a washing machine or is there a communal utility room instead? Or could you use a friend's washing machine in turn for perhaps making dinner? By calculating how long an appliance will be required for and the watts it uses, you'll be able to estimate how many watts you will require for your daily usage. You will also need to consider how many days of energy storage you want your batteries to last for in the event of cloudy weather or low wind if you're using turbines. It is this information that the off-grid suppliers will ask you for, so be prepared. Let's talk about the role of the inverter and the batteries. So the role of the solar inverter is to change the variable direct current in a solar rays into alternating current, which is the current used for the main appliances in the home. When choosing an inverter, make sure it is suitable for off-grid application. The converted energy will charge the batteries, which will be used in the home. There are factors that should be taken into account when choosing your off-grid batteries. And we will look at two types, being lithium-ion batteries and lead-acid batteries. So, talking about price, efficiency, weight and space. Whilst lithium-ion batteries are more expensive than lead-acid batteries, they also have about 80 to 100% of usable energy compared to lead acid batteries with a usable energy of 50 to 70 percent. Lithium ion batteries are also considerably lighter than lead acid batteries for the same energy storage and therefore it means you'll need to consider this if you intend on moving your tiny house with batteries in tow. Another point here is you will require more lead acid batteries compared to a similar size for lithium iron battery. So consider your storage areas. And what about non-solar energy backup? There may be times when the battery storage has not, hasn't got enough in its reserves to provide you a required energy. So consider a diesel or a petrol generator. And if this is the case, then locate it away from the house to reduce the, reduce the annoyance from the generator noise. And also consider creating a special housing for it. Make sure you link the solar system with the generator so the generator turns on automatically when the renewable energy has been exhausted. Let's talk about good placement of solar panels as this is going to be critical to generating energy. Of course, many tiny houses have the solar panels located on their roof. But with this, it means you will need to have your tiny house parked in an area where the panels can receive adequate solar radiation. Personally, I'm a fan of parking your tiny house in the shade, or at least partial shade, to reduce the summer heat entry, and then placing the panels on a rack, or a pole, or even a trailer setup, which allows them to be angled north. If you do place your solar panels on the roof of the tiny house, you will need to make sure that they are well secured to the panel frame, and of course, to the roof, to avoid them becoming a danger during transit. The weight of the panels also need to be included in the overall weight of the tiny house if being placed on the roof. As a guide, a 310 watt panel is around 17 kilograms per panel. Okay, so now I've gone through renewable energy, I want to talk about water supply considerations and particularly the generation of rainwater from your roof area. 
Rainfall is influenced by your climate and the season, where some regions in Australia receive high rainfall over a few months in summer and others receive winter rainfall, and whilst others receive more variable rainfalls. The saying is, Australia is a land of droughts and flooding rains, and this is a d distinct characteristic of our landscape. Australia is also the driest inhabited continent in the world, with very high evaporation levels. That being said, when it does rain, we want to have a rainwater tank large enough to capture all the rain that falls on your roof. And if you're in treed areas, you might want to consider having a first flush diverter installed into your downpipe to reduce the vegetative debris getting into the tanks. The roof area of most tiny houses are not large enough to capture enough water for all water use in the home and the garden throughout the year. So you may have a few options. Create a water audit of your, home, of your demand by calculating how much water you will require on a daily basis and identify if there are any seasonal changes. Perhaps you have a veggie garden that needs more watering in summer. Reduce demand of your potable water first and you could consider using a composting toilet and efficient shower roses and taps in the house and maybe raised wicking beds for your veggies. Install an oversized water tank to capture all rainfall and this could then have the water supply topped up by a, a local water carter during periods of low rainfall. You could also increase the catchment of rainwater by collecting water from other roofs in close proximity, such as sheds and pergolas. Also explore if you can connect to the water supply of the, on the land, if it exists. Perhaps the landholder irrigates crops, but ensure the water quality is of a potable standard. As it, might become, as it might be coming from creeks or dams. Whilst rainwater has been collected and used by households for centuries with varying degrees of filtration, it is important that you consider filtering the water for drinking and cooking purposes. I trust this podcast has highlighted the issues you need to plan for upfront in the design phase and also in the siting of your tiny house. If by listening to these podcasts you want to know more about our tiny house models or stay in a tiny house, then check out www.tinyhousesolutions.com.au and see how we could work together. If you're also interested in sustainable design but on a larger scale, then you might also like to check out my other podcast, Tips from the Sustainable Design Expert. Have a wonderful day.